I'm Rico. And I'm Jessica. And this is the Always the Critic podcast where a couple of friends review the latest movies, except we literally have zero qualification to do so. <laughs> I almost had a hard time saying that. Yeah. How are you doing today, Jessica? I'm doing all right. I'm fairly tired and sleepy. It's Monday. I went into the office today mm. and I have a large amount of of things I have to do this week. I feel like I'm booked up solid. I told my sister, I was like, okay, see you next week. Because every evening this week, there's something yeah. on my schedule. Yeah, so I feel kind of the lot. same way. Yeah, you're in a couple of things. Yeah, I'm in me. a couple of things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> I am in a couple of things. So, so yeah, we're a little booked up. Yeah. Um, I Just really quick, something that came across today. Uh, we were talking about it in our group chat. Uh, AMC with their announcement of oh, yeah. uh, tiered pricing for movies. Uh, so basically, for those who haven't seen the news or anything, AMC is starting out a new uh, dynamic pricing. And basically what that means is that certain seats in the theater will be more expensive and other seats will be less expensive. Uh, right now, it's in New York LA and Kansas City for some reason. Oh, I thought it was Chicago, but yeah, Kansas City. Was it City. Chicago? Oh, no. Oh, you know what? Know. It's New York, Chicago, Kansas City. Okay. Those are the cities that are testing this model out. And uh, there was a screenshot by somebody who uh, checked out tickets in New York City uh, for Magic Mike that's coming out this weekend and just to see what it looks like, the layout. And so basically, it's like a chunk in the middle is the premium tier. You know, sightline. It's all based on sightline. So, like, the most head-on, straight, like, mm-hmm. it's the perfect type of seat. Those chunk of seats are the premiums. Those are $2 more than your regular yeah. tickets. Center seats. Everything around it is pretty much standard. Mm-hmm. And then that very front row is value. The funny thing about the value seats is that you have to be an AMC Stubbs member to buy those. You can't just buy them. Like, what? So you know how there's a there's a list, right? Yeah. We're part of a list. Well, you, there's like the free membership thing of stubs that you just earn points and oh, I see, I see, like that. So you have to have like you know like your email enrolled and mm-hmm, stuff mm-hmm. to be able to buy the value. Only seats. stubs members can buy the value seats. Right. I mean, so can a list, but yes, uh, the stubs what? members, yeah. So, like, if you are a someone who doesn't go to a movie theater often, is not signed up to some loyalty program or anything, you just show up and be like, okay, I want to buy tickets, and you see that there's standard pricing, there's <laughs> premium pricing, and then there's value, and you're just like, oh, I could save some money with value. You can't because you're not enrolled in, in the loyalty program oh with AMC. So, yeah, so that's that's the thing that's happening there. I don't know. I don't think this I don't think this is a good idea. I think it's a terrible idea. Yeah. I mean, I I've heard this concept before of people like wanting to price it out the way you would price out a sporting venue mm-hmm. uh, or a music venue, you know, depending on where you sit, the better the or the mm-hmm. higher the pricing. I just never thought that it would work for movie theaters. It doesn't feel like it would ever work. And, I mean, maybe they have research. Maybe this phase that they're opening in New York, Chicago, and Kansas City, maybe it'll prove otherwise. But I really think this will be a failure of a concept. I hope it is, to be quite honest with you. Even though we're not affected. like We're not because we A-list are A- people. A-list members, yeah. Yeah. It's all the same. It's weird. But, man. That's a weird concept, though. Yeah. So, a uh, little movie news. Alienate uh, more people because it's so expensive to go to the movie theater, terrible. as it is. Terrible. It just feels like everywhere you go for entertainment, they're always, like, pricing people out. Mm. It just feels that way, no matter where you go. Mm-hmm. Uh like we we went through this uh, buying trying to buy tickets to concerts uh, when you're trying to go to a sporting event like any th- type of Disney. entertainment <laughs> Disney like there's like all this tiered stuff and it's like pushing and like 
pricing people out it's it's pretty crazy to me yeah yeah just makes it harder for uh people who maybe don't have as much disposable income to yeah absolutely yeah what about the casual uh i don't know like my parents who go to the movies like once a quarter yeah exactly (laughs) i mean for them highway robbery yeah right if they want a good seat and it's already expensive exactly it's already expensive so if they want a good seat in the theater they would have to pay more right you know right you're really giving more of an incentive for people to just wait for the movie to come on vod oh my god yeah because there's already so little sense of urgency yeah to go see a movie when it's in theaters yeah we are at the least urgent pressing time to go watch movie Mm -hmm. i feel like in in movie going history Mm. I feel like at any other point in time, people would make an effort to go see a movie. Right. You know, and early on and stuff. But now people are just kind of like, nope, I'm not going to the theater. I'm waiting because I yeah. know they're just going to drop. I'm already a paying weeks. for all of these subscriptions. Yeah. I just I should just wait. I should just wait. Exactly. Yeah. I got a 4K TV. I got all this invested, all this in, in a sound system. Why? Why am I going to go pay? $25 to go see this movie in the theater. Yeah, exactly. So uh, I think it's a bad idea. We'll see what happens with that. They expect to roll it out to the rest of AMC by the end of the year. Oof. So ugh, we'll see how that goes. Oh my God. But speaking of expensive things, so I went to see the movie that we're about to talk about. And mm. I was like, oh man, I'm not really that hungry. So I got some tots, tater tots, and the tater tots were actually not good. Like, yeah. for once, oh, they were nice. bad. And I was like, ugh. But before then, I ordered the tots, and I looked towards the bar area, and they had this specialty drink on the sign. It was like apple something something. Okay. Yeah. Did you see it? I saw the sign. Okay. So I was like, fuck, they got me, because I love apple anything. So mm. I walk over, and I'm like, I want this drink. They make it for me, and they give me the bill. Guess how much my drink was? <laughs> I was I had sticker shock. <laughs> I got a feeling that it's got to be, like, 14 try 18 dollars oof 18 dollars for one drink yeah that's that's really them just like laying it on i was like my tater tots cost 10 dollars and my drink cost 18 dollars cost you 28 plus tax yeah woof woof i was like stunned as i walked into the theater yeah, I would be stunned too. At least my drink was delicious, but my tots were not. Ah, that sucks. Yeah, yeah. That really so. sucks. Well, hopefully it didn't put a damper on the movie that you watch, which is the well. movie we're going to talk about. <laughs> uh, but before we talk about that movie, if this is your first time listening, go ahead and subscribe to your favorite podcast app. We're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and many more. And if you do like us, go ahead and give us a review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Five stars goes a long way for us. Come and check us out on social media to stay up to date on our latest episodes and reviews. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok at AlwaysCriticPod. And lastly, if you're a fan, please consider becoming a patron. It's a great way for you to get involved and show your support and get extra content. You can check out the page on patreon.com slash AlwaysCriticPod. And thank you so much to our patrons, Janet, Curtis, Bale, Cindy, CD, and Grace. Love you guys. Thank you so much, guys. Today, we're going to talk about Knock at the Cabin. This is the latest film by M. Night Shyamalan. (laughs) Jessica, let us know what is this movie about. IMDb synopsis reads, while vacationing, a girl and her parents are taken hostage by armed strangers who demand that the family make a choice to avert the apocalypse. So uh, the aforementioned M. Night Shyamalan, who directed the film, also was a co-writer uh, he wrote it along with Steve Desmond and Michael Sherman. This is based on a book, mm-hmm. which is called Knock at the End of the World or Cabin at the End of the World. I'm trying to remember the correct title. Something. I will look it that. up in a second. Yeah. In the meantime, uh, the cast of this movie stars Dave Bautista, uh, Jonathan Groff, uh, Rupert Grint, Ben Aldridge, <laughs> Nikki Amuka Bird. Abby Quinn, uh, Kristen, is it uh, Q? True? The little girl? Um, I'm not sure. Corey? She plays it's, when? 
C-U-I is how it's spelled. I'm not sure or- how it is. And then um, McKenna Kerrigan as well. So uh, how did this movie perform with box office and with critics? Wow. So box office was $14 million opening. And right now it's sitting at a grand total of total of $21 million worldwide. Critics, they said it... <laughs> so it's got a 68% Rotten Tomatoes score and a 64% audience score. So the critics and the audience are right alongside each other. They agree with each other. The critics consensus reads, although it's often less scary... And parts of the story don't bear scrutiny. Knock at the Cabin is a thought-provoking chiller and upper-tier Shyamalan. So the book it's based on is called The Cabin at the End of the World. Uh, Okay, you got it. I think that was one of the things you said. Yeah, I did say one of those two things, so I was right. All right, so uh, the movie itself, Jessica, you want to give us your thoughts first, what you thought about it just in general? I thought it was perfectly adequate fine good outing from Shyamalan did not outright hate it I think I liked it less than old which was the last Shyamalan movie that we reviewed for the podcast and that we saw in theaters I thought Dave Bautista was amazing and uh good solid tension throughout I was waiting for the Shyamalan twist at the end and there is no Shyamalan twist at the end so we can talk about that in a sense, there is a twist, but not in the usual, like, Shyamalan sense, I guess right. you could say. I see what you're saying. Um, kind of straightforward, almost. Yes. Not something you would expect from Shyamalan, but look at that. That That is the twist. Look at that. Uh, so <laughs> I really enjoyed the movie. I think that Okay. Uh, I will echo the sentiments that Dave Bautista is amazing in the, in the role. Mm-hmm. Um, that is something that was has been so surprising to me uh, about Batista's road in Hollywood, uh, because he is from the the lineage of wrestler turn actor, <laughs> um, and so there there's a common yeah. type of thing where they don't really play a character; they play themselves in a version of a movie. Uh, the Rock, John Cena. Uh, but Dave Bautista has really taken like his craft seriously uh, and made some very interesting choices in his career. Sure, he's been in like the MCU as Drax, and that's uh, a broad character, but there's a lot of subtle and nuance that he brings to other characters that he's played, mm-hmm. uh, even in small, tiny roles like in Blade Runner 2049. It's a very small role, but just even that little part you can kind of see like the kernel of what kind of character actor he can be. But even the caliber of movies that he's trying to get into. Yes. is very important. He wants to work with interesting directors. Mm -hmm. He wants to be taken seriously. He actually heard an interview that uh, he had uh, where he was talking about uh, being wanting to be taken seriously as an actor and Mm -hmm. really honing in on his craft. And he wants to, do a great job while he's while he's working at it so i i really commend him on his performance i thought it was uh, really captivating and just there's there's a tenderness there in in his performance but at the same time there's uh, an anxiousness as well with his character i thought it was very good i think for the most part everybody's performance is pretty good in this movie yeah uh i think that the movie itself, what it's trying to say, I think, uh, is I think what what it does very well is that it does give you as an audience member, okay, here's the conundrum. And how would you react in this conundrum? Would you deny? Would you, think it's all fake Mm. would you give yourself in to the circumstances of what's happening um if you have seen the trailer there's the concept that basically these people who are on vacation uh jonathan groff's character ben aldridge and Kristen, um 
are in a cabin and it's going to be the end of the world unless they decide to make a sacrifice. Mm-hmm. One of them, one of their own uh, to stop the end of the world. And so those other characters like Bautista, Rupert Grint, Abby Quinn, and Nikki Amuka Bird are kind of together in this in this entire uh, thing that's happening. And I really enjoyed myself because there's moments where like the tension's really high. There's mm-hmm. moments where you have self-doubt about the premise. That you're thinking like, what if this isn't real? You know, what is going on? Mm -hmm. Uh, And I think it's a good balancing act of tension with a little bit of moments of relief. We get some like flashback moments between the couple of Jonathan and Ben's characters. Mm -hmm. Um, And overall, this is a very good flick. It's high up there for me on the Shyamalan, you know, scale. Uh, So overall... Very, very enjoyable movie. And very good for, like, the time period that we're in, Dumpuary. Like, I oh, think, yeah. This I is a good this, Dumpuary movie. Fantastic yeah, this, Dumpuary movie. Yeah, exactly. It's a fantastic Dumpuary movie. And if you would have released this, like, at the end of summer, you know, like, the tail end of the summertime, like, I think that would have been a great time to release it, too. So, mm. overall, like... I don't really have that many complaints about the movie. Maybe there's something that'll pop up in spoilers. Uh, but as of now here, sitting in just general, I just found myself, you know, I gave into the movie. I was all the way in and I very, I really enjoyed myself with that movie. Mm. So Nice. Now, uh, do we have any thoughts on... Uh, like just general thoughts before we get into spoilers, because this this is a kind of movie that I think you kind of have to just talk about spoilers kind of right away. No, let's just go into spoilers. OK, yeah, let's go ahead and do that. So we're going to go ahead and talk about spoilers for not. Oh, wait, 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 scores, oh. scores. Oh, yeah. So what did you give it? Uh, what is your grade for the movie? I give it B minus B minus. Yeah, got it. I went with a B plus. OK teetering almost at an a minus like get very out. close very close wow uh, so you really is, like this movie i really like this movie okay very much so right. uh we're gonna go ahead and we're gonna talk about the spoilers for knock at the cabin right after this the greatest trick houston we have a problem i am the father i see dead people the devil ever pulled pay no attention to that man behind the curtain was convincing the world you can't the truth he didn't exist oh what's in the box all right so let's go ahead and talk spoilers for knock at the cabin m9 Shyamalan's latest film uh where do you want to start with this okay so i had thought that they were gonna do a little more backstory before we just jumped in because the movie opens we're already at the cabin when is outside the little girl's outside catching uh grasshoppers and I was like, oh, shit. I thought we were going to, like, get the whole... They're driving to the cabin and, like, you know, whatever. They were already there. And then I thought there was also going to be some time to get to know the family before tragedy strikes and these crazies, like, roll up on them. And that's not the case. Dave Bautista comes out of the woods and starts talking to Wen almost immediately in the movie. So I was like, okay, this pacing is not what I thought it was going to be. And it's not a blight on the film. It's just different. Um, it's not, it's not bad at all. But anyway, Dave Bautista starts talking to her and like the way that he is so calculated and calm in everything that he says. And he's Mm -hmm. very articulate. I was like, this is, unnerving yeah so i i really looking back at it uh you can really see how you could be very um kind of resistant to his character when he first approaches when because Uh having such a grown man a big man kind of interact with her kind of knowing those little things of like 
I don't talk to strangers. Well, of course you're not. You're a smart girl. And it's like, and then introducing himself. Yeah. And then trying to like engage with her, asking her questions. It it can set off the wrong tone about a person seeing that. Uh-huh. Um, but what I do appreciate, so tying back to what you said, that the movie kind of just throws us in right at the cabin already. Mm-hmm. What I do like is that they sprinkled in the backstory instead yeah, yeah, of having it all up front. Mm-hmm. So then you get the context. Oh, he's a basketball coach he, for kids, for young for young kids. And yeah. he's like almost like a guidance counselor. So then you understand like his He's dealing with children all the time. Yeah. yeah. So when he speaks to Wen, then you understand, oh, that's why he's speaking to her in that tone, in that way. So what first was kind of creepy, you know, kind of, you know, reaches the point of like, oh, full understanding. Okay. Now context makes right. it Right. And better. I think that it's not a coincidence that Shyamalan hired Dave Bautista. Dave Bautista is a giant man. Giant man. Huge mountain yeah. of a person. And he is very, uh, like I said, calm, almost sweet to to when mm-hmm. and it's uh juxtaposing right because you see this guy full of tattoos and he's bald and he's like big and burly and he's not fitting this sort of like macho or masculine image that he's putting out physically yeah you know and there's an image in the movie that is just like very striking it's when he holds out his hand to shake Wen's hand uh-huh and his hand just covered in tattoos. Yeah. And like he's just shaking her little hand at the very yeah. beginning as an introduction to them. What did uh, you think about some of the shots? Because that initial conversation I thought was very striking in the way that they shot it. And it's extreme close-ups. Extreme close-ups. On top of that, like staring right down the barrel of the camera. So it's yeah. like he's talking to us. You're right. Um. And, you know, every once in a while, you'll see him, like, turn away from the camera to look away to to something out there. Uh, and right. so you feel that nervous energy. Mm-hmm. Because there, I, I was watching a video, uh, great timing on this video. So Patrick H. Williams on YouTube, he uh, dissects movies like crazy. He always makes videos about movies. Uh, his latest movie was just basic... Um, uh, like film 101 like how do you break down a film to criticize it like how and you could do it with any movie and so he chose home alone like the most commercial of movies not really an art house movie but you could do the same things like how do you break down a movie like what is the movie about in the simplest simplest terms and everything and he and he points out a certain scene where after macaulay culkin pushes his cousin and then the drink spills and then everybody starts looking at him yeah but the way the camera is the camera is pointing and they're looking at the camera yeah and there's like this unsettling it's like his perspective right it's his perspective it's a kid's perspective and it's unsettling it's unnerving whenever somebody looks at the camera in a movie it's always like it's always jarring like Still, the most jarring one for me recently was in Multiverse of Madness when Elizabeth Olsen like has that moment where she like takes over her other version and then she just dead eyes the camera. It's just like this creepy moment. You don't remember this? I don't remember that. You're giving me a look like you don't remember this thing, but basically, Maybe it's just because I blocked that movie because no me gusta. But I, I don't blame you. But yeah, it, it's a very unnerving moment or, where okay. it's just like very creepy where like she's doing something and she's in a haze. And then all of a sudden she like kind of snaps out of it. And then she just turns right to camera to look at the audience. And it's it's very creepy. But there's something unsettling about yeah. somebody looking right to camera, whether it's in an earnest moment, whether it's in a thriller like this. It does give the audience a bit of an anxiousness. Mm-hmm. So plus, we're so close to yeah all of what they're doing. We're looking at their hands as they're grasping at grasshoppers, mm-hmm. and it feels like we're in the jar. You know what I'm saying? Oh yes, yes, yes. We're just we're trapped. being the ones yeah. trapped in. <laughs> Oof. 
So, the but really, mo- the family is like the grasshoppers. They're the ones trapped inside the cabin, yeah. being caught up by by mm-hmm. these four people, greater forces. Yeah. Uh, so the the actual concept itself, let let's just talk about very that. biblical, very biblical. Um, they they talk about plagues. They're gonna unleash a plague onto the world. Talking about sins of humanity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. It's a it's a it's a way of just like looking out on what is going on in the world and Shyamalan's vision of it, taking it from the book and really leaning into like, are we willing to make sacrifices for humanity? And you see like the the two sides of it in in the couple, mm-hmm. because you see uh and I'll call them by their actual like character names. So Andrew and Eric, the couple. Uh, Eric has a bit of a belief. Like you could tell like there is yes. a sense of calling to a higher power. Uh, you notice it in the in the orphanage when they go to uh, adopt Wen. Mm-hmm. Like, it's a funny picture because, like, they, like, just turn and it's a picture of Jesus, like, playing soccer with, like, two kids. <laughs> right. It's a mural. But you can tell, like, he's looking at that and Andrew even says, if you want to pray, I'm not going to judge you. Obviously, Andrew is clearly the man with who does not believe. So, I think that this is a very common thread in Shyamalan movies is... The person, the non-believer versus the believer, mm-hmm. the person yeah. who has faith and the person who does not. And in Shyamalan movies, it's not inherently religious, although you can obviously, especially in this movie, draw religious parallels. Um, you know, in Signs, Mel Gibson's character is the one that does not have faith. Right. And he doesn't look at the you know, aliens as a miracle, whereas it's the complete opposite for Joaquin Phoenix's character. And in this movie, Knock at the Cabin, Jonathan Groff's Eric is Joaquin Phoenix's character, so to speak, in this movie, because he's very, he is getting, um, what's the word? I don't want to say bamboozled, but he's buying in to... The circumstances, what they're telling them, the apocalypse is coming, and he's finding meaning in in all of it. And then Andrew is the complete opposite. He's not. He's very cold toward them, cold toward the situation, very suspicious, as he should be, <laughs> and um, a fighter. He's fighting the the charge that they have placed on them. Yeah. 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 And now Andrew, we already mentioned the non-believer, and he is also uh, very temperamental. He has a temper. Uh, okay, well, it's <laughs> it's no, hard temp- to be like he has a temper when they're in a situation when, like when they're this. In a situation. It's a home invasion in the, in its most basic sense. Oh no, I totally I totally get that. In the flashbacks, you can tell that he's a fighter in the sense that he just doesn't let things lie no he does not right he will fight and he will say something back and it's not that he's wrong like that's the thing too is that andrew's approach is not wrong it's not it's not it's just less passive like eric is super passive he's like just let it go stay calm you know it's fine it doesn't matter as long as we're safe, you know, whatever. But Andrew's like, no, let's uh, let's say something, right? Why, you know, whatever. So I like that about the characters that they um, they love each other, but they're different, and they're uniquely placed in this cabin uh, to make an impossible choice. And uh, we didn't really s- well. We kind of gave the concept in in the first half but uh like fully it's that they have to make a choice and if they don't make that choice 
the four intruders one by one will start to sacrifice themselves and by sacrificing themselves it unleashes a plague onto the earth that is like the broad scope of what's happening in this cabin um now the movie doesn't really explain why <laughs> no like, yeah at that time it's happening um it all just feels like it was going to happen and right. they happen to be in the cabin now although the movie does present like a little bit of evidence of like wait a minute rupert grant's character happened to be the same guy who assaulted andrew some years ago mm-hmm. in a bar and all of a sudden he's here at the cabin uh so is it really coincidence is there something else at you know that's at hand there and i love that the movie kind of left it nebulous a little Uh bit Mm -hmm. because even if you buy into the fact that okay the plagues actually did happen right right you have the The apocalypse is upon us you have the the sickness you have and then the airplanes flying you know and then crashing if you have all that happening you still have the fact that these are things that were already kind of in place Mm. like there was already an earthquake that happened earlier on that started and then another one came about Right. And then there was already this sickness that people were starting to quarantine. And now there was a news report where it got worse. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you kind of have self, you kind of have doubt as you're you watching the movie. You can doubt what they're talking about because Andrew is, his points are valid. The way he's poking holes in their apocalypse talk, he's like, well, we already knew about this. Well, I already heard about the the uh, plague the epidemic or whatever and uh he's right he's not wrong at his watch he keeps looking at his watch he's suspicious he knows when the broadcasts are going to show it's it's this pre-recorded all this stuff like he's questioning the setup because it is a setup yeah they knew they were going to be at this cabin they came prepared it it is a setup like in not i guess in the end it's not as the setup that Andrew thought it was, but yeah, they are being manipulated in a sense to make this horrible sacrifice. They are, they are being manipulated into it. And what, what's heartbreaking is that the truth does come out, you know, after, after the end, when he goes to the truck and he finds their belongings. Oh, stop. So and that's the Shyamalan twist that I'm like, there is a twist. It's not a traditional Shyamalan twist. Right. But it does, inf- it does shed light on what you have already seen. Exactly. The, the girl, uh, Adrian, did have a son. Adrian did have a son. Sabrina was a nurse. Uh, uh. Dave Bautista's Leonard was, in fact, a high school or a middle school Guidance coach, counselor, coach. Whatever. Yeah. All of them. And then Redmond was a gas uh, employee. Yeah, he was. Like he said. So all of these pieces of what they thought were lies were truth. Exactly. And the way the movie does weave in moment of doubt, so that way even the audience will be like, well... I don't think this is real. This has got to be like somehow coordinated in some way mm-hmm. to torture this family. Right. You know? And they were uh, skirting around the issue that they're a same-sex couple, so people just automatically hate them. And there's a lot of uh, bigotry surrounding them. And they have that you know flashback sequence with redmond like assaulting them in a bar for no reason whatsoever so they're not crazy like these they are um disliked in society so they have a right to be like suspicious of these people targeting them they do 
And at the end, they bring this up when they're trying to make the decision. They're like, what? I think Andrew's like, why should we sacrifice ourselves or one of us? They hate us for the, what are we doing this for? To save the world? The world hates us. Yeah. And it's powerful because it's not, they're not wrong. Like nobody's wrong in this movie. (laughs) Everybody does come in with a sense of their own uh, struggles, their own thought process. Mm -hmm. And Andrew has seen the bad. And we see that in flashbacks, not only with the altercation, the incident that happens at the bar, Mm -hmm. but also with his own parents. Oh my God. When they come over to visit and so Mm -hmm. i guess that was the introduction to eric as i guess yeah as his partner and he even comments when they leave abruptly it's like a a four and a half hour drive for 45 minutes stay right yeah like he's obviously seeing hurt he's hurt he's hurt and he sees the negative or the way he is viewed by other people Mm -hmm. he sees the negativity and so that colors his thought process of if this is all real if we're supposed to make a sacrifice why should we be making a sacrifice for all these people Mm -hmm. that hate us that don't like us you know obviously eric does lean more towards a more positive view Mm-hmm. And it, it really comes out in the end when he's he makes the decision that he should be the one to sacrifice because he can see the good in people. He could see it not only in his partner, but he can also see it in when uh, like he's already envisioning her future. So they're both, you know, it, it's exactly what you were saying. Like they are kind of opposites in this couple but you know opposites attract uh whatever reasonings you want it it's it is something to behold that two people who are so at times diametrically opposed in their Mm. thinking are in love and together you know also to cast more doubt on the situation eric is under He's concussed, severely concussed. And so a lot of the, like, they're trying to talk him into this huge sacrifice. And he's like ever so, ever so slightly leaning into it and buying it. And you're like, but he's brain damaged right now. Yeah. You know, he can't make any decisions. No, he can't. He's seeing shit. Yeah. yeah, He saw something. He saw something. Did you see the figure? Because I did not. Um, I just saw light. I saw it in somebody posted the screen cap of it. Oh, send it to me. I'll send it send to it you. Send it to me. Okay, but because I didn't see the figure that he saw in the mirror, I was just I guess I was just eating shit because I just saw <laughs> light in the mirror and I was like, okay, I see it's like a heavenly sort of motif here. He thinks it's a good thing, this sacrifice. When you see it, I don't think you'll see that it's a good thing. What? Uh, oh my god! What? Yeah. The figure is not good. Oh no no no! It's not. It, <gasps> it's pretty creepy. Um, what? But I, I'm sending to it. I'm sending it to her now. So if you're listening, <laughs> oh, we'll see what her reaction is. When I she am receives so scared. It. Um, but uh, it's gonna tie into another thought okay, that I figure, have about figure, this movie. Oh, I see. You see it. Oh no, it's like a Grim Reaper? Exactly. Oh no, Angel of Death maybe? Angel of Death. Now that ties into the biblical part. Because in that impassioned speech, just before he gives it to him at the end, he said, um, we have seen what they are. They are nurturing. Like each one is oh, a yeah, thing. Oh yeah, each one yeah, each one represents is a thing. something. A facet of humanity. And he calls them the, the four horsemen of the apocalypse. Right. Uh, really leaning into the biblical analogies oh, here. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, and you can even say, like, I saw a pale horseman riding and he was riding on death. Like, there's a lot of oh, ways God. you could go about yeah. it. Like, when they put the white cloaks over their head, mm-hmm, you can mm-hmm. see it as that. 
Um, so there's a lot of things you could draw out of the movie that really lean into bi- the biblical. And that's what's interesting about it is that a lot of people who m- may not be of faith mm-hmm. will just take it as, oh, it's a coincidence. Or I saw mm-hmm. that. Or mm-hmm. you're having a delusion. So it is kind of like, you know, science versus faith in a way um, in in like a science. story. <laughs> Like science. Uh, (laughs) But I I really enjoy those stories. I really enjoy those stories. Mm -hmm. So um, very good stuff throughout. I'm trying to think if there's something else uh, that really struck out. Oh, you know what struck out to me? This is just like a little side thing about the movie is during the credits, uh, seeing the and Rupert Grint. Like, oh. I was like, oh, Rupert got the and. Yeah. I was surprised by that. Yeah, he did. But, <laughs> hey, good on him. That means he got he got some good money on that one. Also, another thing. He uh, was in the movie for the least amount of time, He guys. was. <laughs> he was like, I'm, I'm getting paid if I'm going to be here. Yeah. Uh, but also, I will say that, I, I don't know if you, you probably already know this, but uh, Shyamalan has been financing his own movies for, like, the last, like, seven, eight years. So I didn't know this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh. So Okay, so, uh, yeah, so the last, like, seven, eight years, the, any movie that has come out in theaters has been self-financed. Wow. Yeah, so he's pouring in his own money. He, he when he first started, he, like, refinanced his home. So like you oh could get the money to like yeah. to really invest. I guess because maybe some studios were just like we're not going to do any more movies with you type of thing. So he just decided to back himself, and then Universal right. will distribute. Right, but he's he the goes one to that, them to just put it out there. Yeah, just put it out there for me. I'll I'll make it with my own dime type of thing. So good on him because so far you you read it earlier worldwide it's already made 21 million dollars so mm-hmm. far uh and so i think budget wise uh, i'm trying to remember how much it was but it's I, it wasn't made for a lot of money this couldn't have been that much money i think maybe the cgi was Maybe some CGI and maybe some of the actors, uh, you know. Like, I don't know how much they got Rupert for, but I feel like Dave Bautista and Jonathan Groff are probably the bigger In names. this particular case, for yeah. sure. They, yeah, they have to be the bigger names. Uh, yeah, it took apparently a, a budget of $20 million. $20 million. okay. So, so right now. <laughs> I hope he makes more money than 21 mil. Yeah, oh yeah. I mean, it it's it just got it just opened in theaters. Yeah. So it should have some legs it's three plus days old. VOD later on. Oh, true, yeah. So it'll get its money back um, you know, pretty soon. So uh overall, I think uh this is not a bad start to 2023 with some of the movies that have come out. Like Megan was a lot of fun. Megan. Megan was fun. <laughs> hey. Megan. Uh, uh, Knock at the Cabin. Yes. Pretty Knock good at the stuff. Cabin is pretty good. Um, for some reason, it's a fertile time for like uh, horror thrillers. Yeah. What's up with that? I, I just think that it's such a um, such a period of time in movies where nothing is coming out that you can just get in there and be like, you know what? We're gonna we're gonna take over this time period because mm-hmm. obviously we own October, but we can just sneak in there for cheap because right. you could get a movie in cheap in, in dumpuary. So yeah, why not? And you can make those movies really cheaply too. Like twenty million dollars for a movie like this, you could turn a mm-hmm. profit pretty easily. So that's probably the reason why the big reason. Now the mo- like the genre that needs to really like like come back step up its game it really has potential to like come back in this time period is what we're going to be talking about next week and that is rom-coms that's right like i don't understand how there's not like some big rom-com coming out like this weekend how is there yeah that doesn't make sense how is it possible where it's the eve of 
weekend eve of Valentine's Day. And we don't have a romantic comedy coming out at yeah. all. Like we're getting a re-release of Titanic. We're not getting a new right. rom-com, <laughs> you know? Yeah. That's crazy to me. That's I, Movie studios need to look at that and be like, we need to dominate that space. We need mm-hmm. to dominate that space. Uh, did you have any other thoughts? How cute was Wen, though? Oh, Wen was fantastic. So cute. I thought she did really well. And RIP to the cabin because the cabin looked like it was immaculately remodeled. So I was very distraught when they like dropped a tree on it at the end and it just went up in flames. And I was like, but the house was so nice. (laughs) That is a true cabin getaway. It was nice. Like, did you see the kitchen and stuff? Oh, yeah. And the bathrooms. I was like, this is a nice remodel that they've done here in the woods and it looks like it's well kept and i was like look at the solid wood doors <laughs> and uh it died it just went up completely in flames were you surprised when they get to the car and i thought there was like a i'm waiting for the second shoe to drop which is they drive up to the diner and this is the moment like is everything real right like, yes, they were telling the truth about their who they were, but is the apocalypse actually was the happening. apocalypse actually happening? So they go in and yeah, like it's all real. Yeah, that that I think is the surprising thing because you walk away from a Shyamalan movie always expecting the twist, right. what's happening. But the fact that like the movie kind of play as straight as true. you can, but it kind of plays it straight, is like, yeah, they were telling the truth. We yeah. we were telling you the entire time this is happening, yeah. and we were probably like uh, <laughs> we were probably like Andrew in that moment, just like no, this is a lie, and Night Shyamalan's gonna in the last ten minutes he's gonna give us some type of weird twist. Yeah, no, <laughs> he was just like no, no twist this time. No twist. It's all true. How do you real. feel about his cameo? Oh my god, the QVC. <laughs> what was he selling? Fried chicken. Yeah, he was like a fried chicken maker. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I liked it, but I, you know, I did one of those, the Leo meme in the theater. Yeah, just like. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I did that. So, there he is. He's there. I see him. Um, <laughs> I always, always, always do that. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> let me see what else. I had, Freak, I had this thought and it, it's gone now. Freak. Mm-hmm. Dang it. Don't you hate when that happens? I do hate when that happens. Oh, oh, the ending. So in the book, the ending is different. Do you want to know what the ending is in the book? Uh, yeah. So if uh, I know we're in spoilers, but for those who uh, have planned to read the book, we're going to go ahead and spoil that right now. Okay. So the ending of the book is slightly different. When gets accidentally shot and killed during the final altercation. And yes, and the couple... Do not do any sort of sacrifice. They just leave. They like drive out the four the the four horsemen, or what's left of the four horsemen. Right. And they live on and never do the sacrifice. Wow. Yeah. So it's a wildly different ending. Wow, that is a different ending. Yeah. So in a sense, they kept the general ending, which is, or. I guess the general thing, which is, <laughs> it was all true. Yes, there was an apocalypse. Yes, they needed to make a sacrifice, willingly given, not right. taken. And uh, they kept that. But then they changed the, like, when lives, she doesn't get dropped by mistake. And the couple actually does follow through and they they make a sacrifice and stop the apocalypse. Right. Oof. Yeah, I, I've... Wow, that's that a big is, change. That's a big change. And you know what? I'm actually fine with with the change. I me too. I think I think they did a good thing here. For once. <laughs> <laughs> uh some of the reviews that I saw on Letterboxd, just some uh oh God. quick ones were like The Rock wishes he had Bautista's range. Oh. Uh yes. Um 
Also, another dig at The Rock. Not all of this works for me, but Dave Bautista continues to do such amazing work while The Rock probably still talking about how Black Adam was actually a success. (laughs) (laughs) Not only are they dragging The Rock, they're dragging Black Adam. Yeah. Awesome. At the same time. uh, Yeah. We are so lucky to have Dave Bautista. I mean, it's... This movie feels like a stepping stone for Dave Bautista. And I hope that he gets bigger roles in the future and that he really, like, who who the frick knows? Like, he could frickin' win an Oscar one day. And we'll yeah. be sitting here going like, yeah, we saw it coming all the way back at the knock at the cabin when he uh, played this <laughs> dude who was I, I a saw harbinger. it all the way back. Yeah, the Royal Rumble in 2006 <laughs> when him and John Cena both landed at the same time and they both act confused like, who won? Stop it. <laughs> That's when I knew Dave Bautista is going to win an Oscar. <laughs> so, so that has been our thoughts on Knock at the Cabin, the latest M. Night Shyamalan movie. Let us know your thoughts on the movie at Always Critic Pod. Uh, you can find us on the socials, so Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, TikTok. Find us there. Let us know what you think. Uh, if you have not started following us on your favorite podcast app, go ahead and do that now. Subscribe. Always the Critic Podcast. That way you can always catch up on our newest episodes every week, unless we're on vacation or something. But we, we try to do <laughs> one every single week. Uh, yeah. Next week, we're pretty excited because it is going to be... The Rom-Com Hall of Fame, Volume 2. Yeah, so we are second going class. To, yes, we are inducting a second class into the Rom-Com Hall of Fame. We will recap the first Hall of Fame at the beginning of the next episode. So just in case you think, oh, why wasn't this person mentioned? Well, you know, they're probably they might already, already be in. inducted. <laughs> exactly. So we're very excited about that. We have a returning guest. So yeah. that's also going to be a lot of fun. And finally, if you've done all that, if you're a fan of the show, go ahead and check out patreon.com slash alwayscriticpod and show your support that way uh, because we are always putting out content and we definitely would uh, appreciate the support with that to be able to run the website, uh, be able to do the things that we're doing. Uh, So just to help cover stuff. Uh, So once again, that's patreon.com slash alwayscriticpod. Uh, We greatly appreciate that. So, with that said, that has been our episode. I'm Rico. And I'm Jessica, and this has been the Always the Critic podcast.